Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today we'll see how God used challenges and conflicts in Isaac and Rebecca's life to deepen their dependence on Him. We will not escape difficulties in life, but as we endure them, God can use them to develop and strengthen our walk with Him. Part three of Cheryl's message titled, Discerning the Will of God. I had somebody call me and they said, you know, Cheryl, I've got some questions about, you know, should I do this or should I not do this? And I, as she was speaking to me, I said, listen, I can give you a hundred reasons why you should. And she's like, oh. And I said, I can give you another hundred why you shouldn't. Oh. I said, but at the end of the day, you can weigh out all the pros and cons, but God doesn't use pros and cons, does he? He has his will. And sometimes his will looks absolutely ridiculous. It's all cons and no pros. If I do that, I might die. It, it, it doesn't look like it. I remember when we moved to England, taking our kids out of a Christian school, going on a, a, a you know, having for the first time in our lives, Brian and I were in the black and had a savings account. It felt so good. And moving to England meant an end to all of that. Uh, it just everything. We had a house. We had a, a church that was substantial, that loved us. And yet, we felt so much that God is saying, pick up everything. Move to a country that you do not know, that you're unfamiliar with, and start a church. It was crazy. I mean, no offense, but Calvary Chapel Vista... I hope the same for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, got voted best church in Vista three years in a row. And our, our mayor was Mormon and she loved us. We had so much favor. But when it comes to the will of God, it's not about prosperity. It's about the will of God. And it cannot be measured or discerned by pros and cons, but only by actively seeking it. As he's there, the men of Gerar become envious. But what of it? Isaac has protected status. Abimelech becomes intimidated by Isaac's might and success. And Abimelech calls Isaac in and says, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. Rejection is so hard. And we take it so personally, don't we? Later, Isaac will say, what are you doing here to Abimelech? I thought you hated me. Rejection is so hard, yet God will use rejection to get us away from the wrong people in the wrong place. We want to leave on our own initiative without being told, but sometimes we need that push that only rejection can bring. After all, Isaac was enjoying great prosperity and growth. The last thing he would want or conclude was that God wanted to move him on. 
Now, Isaac doesn't move too far away. He moves to the Valley of Gerar. This is probably about three miles out of Gerar. Since water is an essential, he goes to where his father Abraham had been. And he sends his servants to dig up the wells that Abraham had first dug. Why? Because Abraham, by digging those wells, had established water rights. Therefore, Isaac had a right to that well. But this first well brings him in conflict with the herdsmen of Gerar. And there is a quarrel. So he names it Isaac, strife. Do you know what naming it means? It means he's taking authority over it. It means he's saying, I'm not a victim of this, but I'm moving on. Isn't that great? I'm not a victim of this quarrel. I'm not moving because I'm a victim. I am moving because I don't want to quarrel. Isaac does not put up resistance or fight, even though the well is his by right. He moves on. His servants dig another well somewhere in the valley of Gerar, and another quarrel ensues. And Isaac names this well Sitna or Enmity. But again, he names it. He puts a name to it. He takes authority over it. His servants dig another well, moving on further. And at this one, there's no quarrel. So they call it Rehoboth, meaning God has made room for us or prepared this place for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land, verse 22. From there, Isaac and his entourage moved to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba is about 17 miles away from Gerar. It's the first place that Abraham built an altar. Now, Isaac so far has been redigging, redigging his grandfather's wells. But when he comes to Beersheba, he doesn't first redig his grandfather's well. He rebuilds his grandfather's altar. And it's in this place, after building that altar, for the second time God appears to Isaac, this time at night. It's almost as if God is saying, welcome, I've been waiting for you to arrive. And God reiterates his promise to Abraham that now belongs to Isaac. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. After all Isaac has been through, the departures, the delays, the deficits, the dilemmas, the difficulties, the denunciations, and disagreements, God is saying, don't be afraid. It's over. You've arrived. And this is when Isaac builds his first and only recorded altar to God. Here is a place that Isaac is reclaiming for God. He is proclaiming the God of Abraham over the land of Baal. He is saying this land belongs to God. Isaac calls on the name of the Lord, worships. Isaac pitches his tent, settles in this place. News follows from his servants that they have discovered water. You see, first the appearance of God, first the word of God, next the altar, next the water. Isaac had it out of the wrong order. He thought first the water, then the word of God, then 
then the altar. But God is showing them first the word of God, then the altar, then the well. This means that Isaac can settle in and down. There is water for crops, company, and animals. This is the second confirmation of God's will, the first being his encounter with God. A third confirmation follows. Here comes, look who's coming. Mm-hmm. Here comes Abimelech with a Huzath. No doubt a Huzath, it says a friend. We Commentators believe this is a friend of Isaac's. And Abimelech's saying, look, I've got your friend. It's going to be peace because he's also coming with the call, the commander of his army. But what he wants is a covenant of peace with Isaac. So he brings the commander of his army saying, see, my commander's here. He's entering into this covenant too, that we will not do you any harm. He agrees to it too. And as long as you do not do us any harm either. Why does Abimelech now want a treaty, a covenant with Isaac? Because he has seen God's blessing on Isaac. Isn't that amazing? So many times when we look on our own life, we only see the trials and the deficits and the hardships, but others are looking on going, wow, I can see God's blessing. He got you out of that. He got you out of this. He got you out of that. Abimelech doesn't see the hatred, the dismissal, the rejection, or the quarrels, the moves. In all these things that Isaac has been through, Abimelech testifies, we have certainly seen the Lord is with you. You are now blessed of the Lord. It was by the peace. It was by the refusing uh, to assert his rights. It was in these things that Abimelech sees the hand and blessing of God. Isaac, through a somewhat unexpected and circuitous route, has come to the very place God intended for him. In contrast, in chapter 26, it ends with Esau's intentional removal of himself from the will of God. We already saw at the end of chapter 25 how he chose how he chose um, the stew over his birthright. And now we see that instead of waiting, as Isaac did, to have the wife of covenant, he just chooses Canaanite women. Remember Abraham, how important it was to grandfather Abraham that Isaac not marry a woman from Canaan? And yet, Esau goes out and he gets himself two wives. With Esau, we see this pattern, the same pattern that we see with Eve, the pattern of sin. Take, you see it, see and take for yourself. See and take for yourself. So Esau went outside, hunted, saw, and took for himself. Esau, the Canaanite woman, he sees them, he takes for himself. He is intentional with his removal of himself from the promises and will of God. Here is one who cares more about his needs, his desires, and wants his needs and his desires fulfilled his way, his timing. 
Esau does not wait for his parents or God to find him the covenant wife. Even as he hunted for game, he hunts in Canaan for women to be his wife. And these wives of Esau make Rebekah and Isaac's lives miserable. Um, when Char was about 10 or 11, Kristen came home from school, just fit to be tied. Kristen being my oldest daughter, his older sister, and says, Char has got a girlfriend. And I said, oh, really, who is it? And when he told me, I, you know, I was like, uh-oh, because I... She had been in trouble a lot at this school. And Kristen said, Mom, this girl is not right for Char. I said, okay, I'll take it from here. 10 or 11. I said, can we talk? She said, sure, Mom. He has that total guilty look. Char could not help. You know, you could look at his face and go, okay, what did you do wrong today? He just had one of those faces like, hi. <laughs> you know, guilt. It was like guilt, guilt, like a neon sign. So I said, let's just sit down. I remember sitting outside our house on the curb. And I said, I want to read you a scripture. <laughs> so I read him this scripture. And, Rebecca, uh, and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> I said, Char, your choice of girlfriend doesn't just affect you. It's going to affect dad, and it's going to affect me. So I want you, whenever that time comes that you feel like you want a girlfriend, to choose wisely. He goes, did Kristen tell you? I said, yes. He goes, okay, mom. I wasn't feeling a piece about it anyway. And, you know, that's good. Do you want the will of God for your life? If you want the will of God, then be assured that God will lead you right to the very center of it. The very things that might make you think that you are out of his will are the very instruments that God is using to put you into his will. Once you submit the departures, the delays, the deficits, the dilemmas, the difficulties, the dissensions, the denunciations and disagreements, once you give them over to God, they become the very instruments that God will use to make sure that you are in the center of his will. You know, sometimes we have an idea of what the ministry is that God has for us and how we're going to do that ministry. We've got it all written for God. And something happens that seems to throw us way off course. I had a friend I had, she's still my friend, so I shouldn't say past tense, and she's still walking, living, breathing. But she, um, she had this incident happen to her. She was supposed to speak at these homeschool uh, conventions, and she saw how her life was going. And something beyond her control happened, and all of a sudden she was associated with a community that she never Ever would naturally associate herself with. And all of a sudden, she was being denounced on Facebook like you would never, ever believe. The homeschooling convention canceled her, didn't want anything else to do with her. I mean, it was terrible, the onslaught. I remember um, she asked Kathy Gilbert to pray. And Kathy Gilbert says, if I'm praying, Cheryl's praying, because she always brings me into these prayer times. So Kathy called me up and we prayed together. And then I had a chance to meet with this woman and go out to coffee with her. And I said to her, you know what? God has just put you in a mission field that you never expected. And probably a mission field that you 
didn't particularly want. But nevertheless, it's your mission field. It's not because you've sinned, because you haven't. But this is now the place that God has for you. I have um, another friend who found out she had cancer. And she said to me, this isn't the mission field that I ever wanted. But it's the mission field that God gave me. And I intend to use it for a mission field. I remember when my dad had lung cancer. And he had to go for his chemotherapy appointments. And I went with him. And it was, um, these men started talking. My dad was really quiet. Just kind of, when dad was in pain, he wouldn't speak. And he would kind of go into himself. And he was just kind of there. And I could tell, um, I was sitting right across from him, that he just needed pepina. And I remember sitting in that room waiting for the chemotherapy and knowing that all of the people in this room, with the exception of myself, had a death sentence. And these two men were talking, and for some strange reason, I just joined into the conversation. And somehow, by the Spirit of God, I was able to lead the conversation of Jesus. One of them was a very famous writer um, in Orange County. And I was able just to do it. And I remember leading the conversation to Jesus. And this man, for the first time in his life, said, I'm open for the first time in my life. And I looked at dad. I felt, my dad used to like to play volleyball. And we would play um, the two of us on a team. And I was the setter. He'd take the first ball, then he would send it to me, and I would set it above the net so my dad could spike it. And we were the dream team. And I felt that day that I had just gotten the ball and I just was setting it to my dad. And I remember that he looked up and the spirit of the Lord came on my dad. And he began to tell these men about Jesus and told them that he planned on seeing Jesus very soon and was confident and sure of the hope he held. It was majestic. At that moment, I remember thinking, there's no place I'd rather be than right here in this office with this company of men who will soon see Jesus. It was so amazing. That was not the mission field my dad ever, ever saw him in. And you know how he got there? By disaster. By deficit of health. God took him into that room to lead those men to Jesus Christ. It wasn't the mission field he wanted. Friends, departures, delays, deficits, dilemmas, difficulties, including natural disasters, dissension, denunciations, disagreements. This does not say you are out of the will of God. That, that God is prodding you gently maybe even forcibly, right smack dab into his will, into the place he has for you, a place that you would never go naturally, a place that you would never imagine yourself being. However, as you submit each of these things to him, seeking his directives, he will turn these deadly deeds into his perfect design for your life his goodwill. Remember, Isaac did not disobey God. Isaac did not try to dissuade Abimelech or defend his rights. Instead, he sought the direction 
and will of God. God's will is good. And it is the place where he can reiterate his promises to you and use you to claim the land for him, proclaim his word, refresh you, provide for you, and give you an undeniable witness before the enemy, before the non-believer. God can give you a testimony. God's will is good, and you will not miss the will of God unless you intentionally want to. And I don't think there's anyone in here who would say, I don't want the will of God. I know you do. And I know that you are going to be in the will of God and that the place that you're in right now is God's will for you to give you a ministry, maybe to people you never thought you'd be ministering to. Maybe it's not what you imagined yourself. You thought you had the picket fence, white picket fence, two cars in the garage, stable husband ministry. Mm -mm. You've got the sojourner's ministry. But just know that all of these things are God's way of saying, my beloved, I want you in my will and I want to use you for my highest glory and your highest good. God's will is good and he wants to get you into that will. You know, I honestly did not want the ministry of the stressed back this week. I did not want, you know, but how could I get up and tell you that God uses this if my back's not out, if smoke detectors aren't going off in my house, the dog isn't trying to climb into bed with us and my daughter's not in false labor. If I just got up and said, well, you know, you might have these things, but not me. (laughs) You know, God uses these things. I remember our car breaking down. And England, and we got in there all ready to go to church on a Sunday morning, and Brian hit the thing, and it went doot doot. It didn't even go like, <laughs> like I'm trying. It just went doot doot, like nothing. Mm-mm. I'm not doing anything. So we called this mechanic. He comes over to our house the next morning. He gets in the car, and he turns it, and the car goes boom, boom. Like, I don't know what your problem is. You know, I just don't like Americans. And, and this guy said, Brian, he says, it sounds fine to me. And Brian says, I don't get it. And he goes, well, what, what were you doing? He goes, well, I was going to church. Why were you doing that? Brian says, well, I'm a pastor. Brian shared the gospel with this guy. And the guy goes, I've got this question. Why is an apple sin? And Brian's like, what? And Brian's like, an apple's not sin. That's not the issue at all. And when he explained it to this guy, he goes, I get it. I'll get it. I'll get it now. I'll get it. I'll get why we need Jesus. I mean, it was crazy. It wasn't the mission field that Brian wanted. We wanted the mission field of the great working car on Sunday morning. That's not the mission field we got. God's got you smacked out in his will. These things are are just God's way of keeping you there. Making sure your will gets right where it's supposed to do between the grids so you can get that great car wash. Maybe you've had some of these things going on, the deficits, the difficulties. Um, maybe, you know, the enemy's trying to say, you're out of the will of God. You're not really love. I, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I just want to know I'm not alone. Hallelujah, I'm not alone. And there's a lot of you. Will you take that thing 
that's made you think that you're not in the will of God? And will you just give it to God and say, Lord, use this as a directive in my life. Just hold it out to God. Use this as a directive to get me right in the center of your goodwill, to show me where my mission field is, where the place is that you want me to be, that I will have the greatest testimony. Keep me in this place. Keep me in this place. God's will for us is good. We can't let the hardships and disappointments of life deter us from seeking it. Delays, deficits, and difficulties will come, but that doesn't mean you are out of the will of God. It may be that God is using those very things to bring you into the center of His will, a place you would never go naturally or could even imagine yourself being. As we face these challenges in life, may they cause us to seek the Lord for guidance and direction that we may be led into God's perfect will. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Isaac's blessing for his sons as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.